So last week we kicked off a new series titled Bad Religion where we are taking a look at believers' historical struggle with hypocrisy. We're taking a look at what God has to, to say about hypocritical living. Um, and we're also going to be trying through this series to learn from the past and, and begin to live out our faith authentically. Because one thing this world needs is for people like you and I who, who love God to not just gather for him on a Sunday, but to live for him every single day of the week. So we kicked off last week by focusing on what God had to say uh, to his people through the prophet. His name was Amos. And like all the other prophets, God used Amos to warn his people of their hypocritical living, to warn them of the path that they were on, and to let them know that if you keep living this way, you keep acting this way, you're headed towards some destruction. And so instead of bringing hope and healing to the world, what was going on during Amos's day and age was that God's people were, were just apathetic to how God had called them to live. They just didn't care about justice. In fact, they were the ones bringing about and participating in a lot of injustices. And so God told them, look, enough with your hypocritical living. And through Amos, he said, instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice. I want to see an endless river of righteous living. And that is what God still desires to see from you and I today, that we fight for justice, that we pursue righteousness, and we don't just gather and then go out and live however we want. I'd love to tell you that, that after Amos kind of gave this message of the Lord, that people immediately changed, but, but they didn't. And consequences caught up to them. But God doesn't give up on his children. Only a good God continually gives his people chances before consequences. And so roughly about a 100 years after Amos, God sent another prophet with a message for his people who were living in hypocrisy. His name was Jeremiah, and he may have the worst nickname in all the Bible. Uh, they called him the Weeping Prophet, uh, because throughout all 52 chapters of the book that bears his name, he's continually just weeping and grieving over how much God's people have lost their way. And chapter 1 begins with Jeremiah receiving his responsibility from God. God says, I want you to go and speak on behalf of me. And to that responsibility, Jeremiah says, Oh, sovereign Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. Oh, sovereign Lord, I, I can't do this. And so this is biblically how you say, God, with all due respect, you're, you're off your rocker. Right? Jeremiah thinks that there's just no way at all that God would be willing and could use somebody like him. I think Jeremiah has a little bit of a point because he is somewhere between 12 and 16 years old when God says, I need you to take this message to my people. And Jeremiah knows that if he's 12 to 16 years old, that his age is going to be a barrier to some who are going to receive this message. Even though it's on behalf of the Lord, he knows some people won't look past his age. But the Lord is very well aware of the culture, how they're going to react to the responsibility that he gave Jeremiah. And God certainly hasn't forgotten about Jeremiah's age. And so, so God replies and says, don't say I'm too young, for you must go wherever I send you. You must say whatever I tell you, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you, and I will protect you. I, the Lord, have spoken. So, so last week we saw with Amos, Amos is given this responsibility to go and to talk to God's people, confront their hypocrisy, and, and at first Amos is like, look, I'm just a fruit picker, I'm just a shepherd, but God will use just uh, you fill in the blank. And through Jeremiah, we're once again reminded that God doesn't always use the qualified, but he will always use the willing. 
God doesn't always use the qualified. We can see this with all of these prophets, all the people he used. But one thing God likes to do is he'll use the willing. So Jeremiah is concerned about his age. He's got this inexperience. He's got this lack of knowledge. He wonders, but I'm just so young. What will people think of me? But God's saying, no, no, no. none of your excuses matter when I'm with you. I think a good formula for us to remember is God plus nothing still equals everything you need to accomplish the responsibility that God has given you. God plus, even if you consider yourself nothing, God plus nothing equals everything you need to live the life he's asked you to live. You know, no matter what our age, we need to remember that our all-knowing God, he's, he's well aware of how he constructed us. He knows all of our strengths and our weaknesses. He knows our capabilities. He knows our liabilities. He knew all that when he placed that calling in our mind or put that responsibility in our hands or that dream in our heart. And I know how intimidating it can be to try to live out God's purpose for your life in front of people who are skeptical, in front of people who look at you and say, there's no way. And a lot of times I think we're the loudest voice in that way to ourselves. But if God is with you, then you have all you need to fulfill the calling he has placed on your life. That's all you need. It's just him to be with you. And you have everything you need to accomplish it. Now, thankfully, Jeremiah, despite his age, despite his excuses, he did move forward with this responsibility that God gave him to take his message. And God said, you're going to go into the city, capital city of Jerusalem. You're just going to shout this out to everyone. This is a message people don't want to hear. People like living in hypocrisy. And so he says this, I remember how eager you were to please me as a young bride long ago. How you loved me and followed me even through the barren wilderness. This is what God initially says to his people through Jeremiah. I remember how you were eager to please me as a young bride long ago. How you you loved me, you followed me even through the barren wilderness. Now, I think that we sit back at times. I know I do. I'm guilty of this. Uh, And sometimes we will long for the good old days. Right? For one reason or another, we, we just sit in the present and we're like, man, I just wish that was a lot more like the past. And out of his love for his people, that's what we see God doing right here in the second chapter of Jeremiah. God's kind of recalling the, the distant past times and he knows circumstances have drastically changed. And he misses that day when, when he and his people were close, when they first came into that relationship. He misses the day when his children would do what pleased him, when, when they were ready to worship him and, and they'd stay true to his ways and his truth through thick and thin. In Jeremiah chapter 2, we see this un, our unchanging God. He, he longed for that closeness with his people again. But it's his people who have changed. And so God continues through Jeremiah. This is what the Lord says. What did your ancestors find wrong with me that led them to stray so far from me? They worshiped worthless idols only to become worthless themselves. And this is such a good reminder that that we often become what we worship. Whatever we give our thoughts to, most of our time and our energy to it, it impacts us. It it begins to change our identity. We, We start to reflect the value of what we worship. And so God says, they, some of his people, they did not even ask, where is the Lord who brought us safely out of Egypt and led us through the barren wilderness, a land of deserts and pits, a land of drought and death, where no one lives or even travels. God's people here has done something that historically it upsets God. God gets upset when, when we completely forget everything that he has brought us through. I know I have a tendency to do that. 
I cannot imagine how much closer I would be with God if I continually reminded myself of everything he's done for me. And he's upset with his children because they've completely forgotten that he rescued them. He gave them a hope. He gave them a future. And not only that, he brought them to this great life, one they could never have on their own. And yet they're squandering it. They're just wasting it away. And so Jeremiah continues. And when I brought you into a fruitful land to enjoy its bounty and goodness, you defiled my land and corrupted the possession I had promised you. The priest didn't even ask, where is the Lord? Those who taught my word ignored me. The rulers turned against me and the prophets spoke in the name of Baal. And Baal was a very, very popular false god. He said, wasting their time once again on worthless idols. And God says through Jeremiah, therefore, I will bring my case against you, says the Lord. I will even bring charges against your children's children in the years to come. All that to say, the reason God is just so upset, the hypocrisy of his children right here is that they've traded in God's ways for the world's ways. They know that God has called them to live in a certain way, go about his ways in their life and in their culture, but instead they're yielding to the ways that the world tells them to live. They're not changing the culture. They're reflecting the culture. They've left God's truth for the world's lies. They didn't even battle for truth. And thousands of years later, we are still in a battle for truth. But what is truth? What is true? Those are deep questions. And that was a question that was posed 2,000 years ago by a man in our Bibles named Pontius Pilate. Some of us know Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea, and he's, he's most known for his involvement in Jesus' trial, I guess we could call it, in his crucifixion. The book of John tells us that while under arrest, Jesus said this to Pontius. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus is basically saying, you're not stopping this train. And Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus responded, you say I am a king. Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. All who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. What is truth? Pilate asked. Pilate, in front of Jesus, he scoffs and says, truth? What is truth? This wasn't a question that Pilate was hoping Jesus would answer. It wasn't an inquiry. This is how Pilate justified his actions. What is truth? There's no such thing as truth. And that's what the world does today. It looks at truth and says, what is truth? I can live how I want. Now, although conversations about truth are are, are vast, uh, there's a few things we know about truth. First, we know that, that truth in, in today's world, truth is not whatever works. Okay, Truth is not whatever works. Uh, the other day, I think briefly forgetting I was raised in a small town in Indiana, my wife looked at me and said, I got this loose connection between a cord and, you know, and my computer monitor. Can you fix this? And within 30 seconds, I had wrapped a rubber band around the, the cord and, and strapped it around uh, her, her screen. And it, I was impressed. She clearly wasn't. Right? But that, well, that's not the way the connection is supposed to work. That's not the true connection. But, hey, it, it worked. I appreciate that she thought I was capable of more. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> but, but, but it worked, right? 
But no one would look at that and say, that's the right way it should, should function. You know, truth is not just whatever works, right? The wrong way can work. Lies can seemingly work. So truth in today's day and age is not whatever works. And truth is also not what makes you feel good. My, oh my, the world today will tell you that, you know, truth is just whatever makes you feel good. It's all about you. And just because it feels good doesn't mean that it's good for you. And in our human nature, we can be drawn to things that we say, I want that. It feels good, even though we know it's destructive to our lives or it has the potential to destroy our family. Right? So that can't be true. No matter how much it's championed in our culture, the truth is not whatever just makes you feel good. Your feelings aren't the end of everything. Right? Which also means then that truth is not relative. Uh, you can go in circles with people about this, but when someone says that, oh, truth is just relative, what, what they mean is that you can live and do as you please because there's no right or wrong. There's no righteous or unrighteous. The truth, it's just up to you. But, but the truth cannot be relative. We, I think we're seeing the, the, the condition of the world around us. What happens when we say truth is relative and everybody can make up their own idea of what's right and what's wrong. And truth is certainly not what the majority says is true. 51% of any crowd right, can tell you one way of living is healthy, but it, it doesn't mean it's, it's true. It doesn't mean it's right. Everyone can be doing the wrong thing, and that doesn't mean that if everyone approves of the wrong thing, that it suddenly becomes right. So what is truth? And this is the struggle that, that Jeremiah spoke out against to God's people. They lost what was true. They rejected God's truth. They rejected how he asked them to live. And instead, they were just doing whatever they wanted. They were doing whatever felt good. Truth to them wasn't what God said. It was what the majority thought was okay. And God's people, they really thought they were going to find real solid life outside of his ways. They exchanged God's truth for the world's lies. And their lives were clearly suffering because of it. Through Jeremiah, God goes on to say, For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water. And they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Now, what God is doing there through Jeremiah is he's giving them this imagery that they would have been familiar with. They didn't really, weren't digging in the ground creating cisterns. Because in the Bible, water often represented life. So what God is saying is that, that his people... That they looked at him, they looked at his truth, and they looked at the ways that he has called them to live. And that would have brought about this abundant life for them, the life they've always wanted. And instead what they did is they exchanged it for this way of living that was popular in the culture but would not bring about abundancy at all. I think now more than ever, the world tempts us to do the same. Pay attention this week because I say I've been preparing for this message I paid attention to everything I saw on TV, on the internet, on social media. I paid attention to the messages we're receiving in, in our culture. And most of those messages are, are somewhat the same. You can do life on your terms. Follow the crowds. Here, do whatever feels good and how dare you and say it's wrong. The world's truth would lead us to believe that life is all about us. We get to define truth however we want. And you know what? All that matters is if you are happy or not. Our world tells us, you know what, if you want to get out of a problem, go ahead and lie. This is all about you. If you want to say something rude to someone to tear them down so you can step on them and build yourself up, then go ahead. 
If you want to create your own morals, your own list of rights and wrongs based solely on your opinion, that's fine. Go ahead. This world is all about you. That's the message. That's the lie we're receiving from the world. And here's how the prophet Habakkuk, a terrible name, the prophet Habakkuk, he lived during the time of Jeremiah. Here's how he observed that same problem that we see today. He says, look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. They trust in themselves and their lies are crooked. Habakkuk shows this ageless, I think, correlation that exists between people who put this unhealthy emphasis on their own confidence, creating their own truth at the expense of God's. So he says they trust themselves and their lives are crooked. He says, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Now, living for God in this world that is continually straying from him, it is certainly not easy. I think we all know that. Um, But there's some psalms here that I want to toss your way that I think can give you some encouragement. And I really do want to encourage you to to jot these down, even just the the, the reference, and and take some time this week before you head out to take your kids to school or, or go to your jobs or whatever it is, go to the grocery store, I don't care. Before you leave your door every day, turn some of these psalms into a prayer. Because if we're just going out into the world weaponless, just like, hey, I'm strong enough on my own to not give into their ways because I'm going to live by God's ways, we're going to fail. right? But when we take these encouragements from the Psalms with us, when we pray over them, I think it's going to put us in a different posture in the world. And here's the first one. Psalm 8611. Teach me your ways, O Lord, that I may live according to your truth. Not the world's, your truth. Grant me purity of heart so that I may honor you. How much more could you face the day or think about how empowered your family could be if you huddled up and said, we're going to say this prayer. Teach me your ways, O Lord. I want to live by your truth. Give me a pure heart because we as a family want to honor you. How much more confident you'd be in handling your day, right? And the psalmist would also say this, and I love the desperation here. Lead me by your truth and teach me for you are the God who saves me all day long. I put my hope in you. Now, as much as the world changes, adapts, and evolves uh, to the extent that some people could say, well, you know, God's truth, that's outdated. That's old. It doesn't fit into today's culture. We must remind ourselves of what another psalm declares, which is the very essence of your words. Talk about God's word. The very essence of your words is truth. And all your just regulations will stand forever. So what is truth? Well, Pontius Pilate missed the truth that was right in front of him. It was clearly presented. It was right there, and he missed it. But we don't have to. Jesus is the perfect, flawless, faultless manifestation of all God was, is, and will always be. Jesus still stands in front of this fallen world today declaring that that he is truth, and his ways are the only ways that's actually going to lead you and I to the abundant life that we want. In his own words, Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He'd also go on and and tell us in John 10, he says, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, a lot of people have opinions, strong opinions about Jesus and about Christianity and about uh, his love for them or his lack of love based on how we may be living in the world. But can you imagine if this was the impression people had of Jesus? 
If we lived in such a way that people could uh, find Jesus for the first time and know without a shadow of a doubt that his purpose is just to give them a rich and satisfying life. He is for them, not against them. And that is what Jesus and his truth can do. It can come into your unsatisfying, maybe mundane life and give it more meaning and satisfaction than you've ever dreamt of. I think of Levi, the the tax collector, and his transformation in the book of Mark. Every single day, Levi lived by the truth of the world. He lived by the truth that money was the ultimate king. So he lined his pockets with all he could have wanted. He could buy anything. But yet he left that life behind. He jumped at the opportunity to follow Jesus. That's what Jesus' truth can do. I think about the the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. This is a woman who found her truth through the, the revolving door of many dissatisfied relationships. That's and our culture will do the same. You'll find you a gal, find you, you know, a guy. That's where you're going to find, you know, your belonging. That's where you're going to build your foundation. But that's not the case with this Samaritan woman. She found her truth. She found her life through Christ. And she went around telling everybody about him. Later on in the book of John, we see Jesus' interaction with the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in adultery, and, and men gathered, men, men from the town gathered with big stones ready to execute her right there. That was going to be her penalty. But yet Jesus shows up on the scene. He knows, he, he calls her out on her risky lifestyle, right, that she found comfort in. But yet through Jesus' truth, she finds the grace she didn't deserve in a life after mistakes. Heck, even while Jesus is hanging on the cross, right, where you and I would be suffering so much, we would not be thinking about anyone else. There is a thief next to him in Luke chapter 23. And Jesus is still loving the people dying next to him. And he gives this thief, a man whose life was defined by mistakes, he gives him a chance to redirect his life. He finds after a life of of maybe criminal activity, he finds hope through the truth of Jesus' words. And time and time again, those who are headed towards their own demise because they're living by the world's terms, by the world's truth, have the opportunity for life and hope because of God's truth. For thousands of years, God's, God's people, just like you and I, we've wandered from his truth, and there we never found the life we thought we'd be living. And yet Jesus speaks into that and says, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Perhaps you, you find yourself t- today as, as someone who has chased all the things that life has to offer Although the things that you thought would would build you a solid foundation of life, the things the world says, once you get this, you'll have it all. Yet you have those things. Or even just the pursuit of those things is just leaving you unsettled. You're, you're, You're tired. You're drained. You're defeated. This is not the life you wanted to live. If that's where you are, I want you to know you're not alone because that's where many of us were before giving Jesus a chance. And if that's where you find yourself today, I, I hope, and I prayed all week, and I'll, I'll pray all week again, that you give Jesus the chance, that you give him a chance to, to see what his truth can do for your life. Because if you're anything like me, Lord knows we gave everything else too many chances. And there's others of us, undoubtedly, we, we know we've been wandering from God's truth. We, we, maybe we gather on Sundays, we call Jesus Lord, but we don't really give him any authority for how we live our lives. Well, if you're in that seat, I want to encourage you to, to do whatever it takes this week to get back to, as Jeremiah would say, you know, loving God like you once did. 
That, that fire you had when you came into that relationship with him, that, that first time you sat down in a church and you, and you heard about Jesus, you heard his message of hope, and you said, I am all for that. Let's get back to that. Because we, his children, we can learn from what he said to the prophets spoken many years before us. And we can make the decision today to no longer be wandering from his ways. Let's pray. God, just like many weeks before, uh, I am just blown away and in awe of how your words through the prophet Jeremiah thousands and thousands of years ago still have relevancy in our lives today. When I hear that scripture boast about itself, saying it's living and active, I, I believe that because your words through Jeremiah still impact my life today more than anything else. God, none of us get into a relationship with you figuring out how we can take advantage of it or how we can disappoint you or how we can wander away. It just happens. And we're not proud of it. We're probably a little embarrassed and shameful of it. We, we've allowed that relationship to just kind of go to the back burner by the wayside. And none of us here, that's, we don't want to live that way. So help us get back to loving you like we once did. You're such a good God who gives us so many chances before consequences. And there's a world outside these walls that undoubtedly, undoubtedly, the way we are going to live in it is going to bring about consequences. The world doesn't care about our soul, but you do. To a certain extent, I don't even think the world really cares about our life, let alone our afterlife. But you sent your son Jesus to die for us so that we can have eternity with you. So God, if we're trusting you with eternity, if we're trusting that that is true, give us the courage to live by your truth right here in the momentary. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.